Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is going to be a fun episode. We're going to be diving into one of my great loves as a child and and quite honestly still now, and that is cartoons, cartooning, comic books, and comics. And we're going to do that with a physician named Grace Ferris, and this is going to be a lot of fun. Before we get to the episode, just really quick, want to please invite everybody to come and check out the website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. It's our new home for the show. It's been just incredible to watch it grow. The four pillars of learning are all there. You click on the about page, you'll find it. The whole archive is there and we're coming up on episode number 100. So really excited about all the things that are happening on the website. We're really active on Twitter as well. You can find us at ETS show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. There is nothing more fun than interacting with people who listen to the show, who are enjoying the show, who want to give feedback about the show, guests to recommend, all of that sort of thing. I love it. Please bring it to me and uh, we'll jump into it for sure. If you have the opportunity to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts, please subscribe to Explore the Space. It really helps people find the show. And if you have the opportunity to leave a rating and a review, that is a wonderful thing you can do to drive people being able to find our show and then get a good insight as to whether they want to check it out or not. So please leave a rating and a review if you have the chance. So let's jump in with Grace Ferris. Grace does similar work as I do. She's a hospitalist. She's a medical director. She's the medical director for a hospitalist program at a hospital in Manhattan. And so we're on opposite coasts, but we're doing very similar work. But the thing that Grace is doing that is just, it's its too good. She does cartoons about being a doc, about being a mom. They are really good cartoons. They are biting. They're satirical. They're funny. They're sometimes sad. Grace, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. I, I didn't realize you had 100 episodes already. That's awesome. We're getting close. We're getting close. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, wow. Been, uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun run. So you and I are going to start in the middle, or actually, let's start fairly recently. I came across your work on social media, and right around the same time as I reached out to you through your website to invite you to come on the show, I came across an essay that was on, I think it was on medium.com. And I think I tagged you when I responded to it. And I, we have to talk about it. The essay is about Calvin and Hobbes and it's Calvin at the end of life. And he's reflecting on his life. I grew up with Calvin and Hobbes. I still love Calvin and Hobbes. My son and I do Calvin and Hobbes sound effects to each other. Calvin and Hobbes is part of the family. I was able to read three sentences of that essay. I closed it and I've never gone back to it. <laughs> Talk me through why why did I have such a visceral response to a cartoon? Well, I mean, did you notice that Susie's there? Oh, I noticed that Susie's not just there. Susie's his wife. I don't know about that. He married um, Susie Durkins. That's a stretch. They didnn't like each other so much. It is a stretch. Yeah. So it seems like it's fan art, which yeah. is nice. And it's about end of life, which you know pretty well. I mean, we both like work in that a fair amount. Yeah. 
So it's something that um, somebody recently commented, it's something that we sign out, but we also take home. I thought that was a really nice turn of phrase. And I mean, that essay, yeah, it's hard to read because I think it's nicer to imagine Calvin as a six-year-old forever. That's so right. That's right. That's, that's how I'd rather think about there it. There you go. I'll take that. And I think that that's part of it is Calvin and Hobbes are ageless and they're not supposed to progress in life. They're just supposed to always have adventures. Yeah. And I think that that's what I've loved about animation is they capture moments in time and you can sit there with them and they don't age and they're timeless and they're evergreen. And I feel like that's a lot of what you're doing. And I think that's why this, the, the content of yours that I've had the chance to look at, and I feel like I've seen a lot of it now, it, it lands in that same category. This is going to be ageless, timeless, evergreen stuff that captures a moment in time. That's how it's landing on me. As you gravitated to this work, what was your what was the underwriting philosophy? What were you trying to do when you said, I'm going to start doing some cartoons, some graphic art around being a doc and around being a mom? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, I have always made comics and I drew a daily comic strip in college about like my life. They've always been autobiographical. Uh-huh. Um, and I I had taken some time off from really making comics, you know, regularly, although I was still doing them. But um, when I was at my old job in Boston, my old boss found out that I had drawn a comic in college and he was very taken with that idea. And when um, Annals started to publish comics, he told me that I should, that that would be something that I should do. Um, And he was really encouraging. And then, and so I started doing some medical ones and then all of a sudden I had this four-year-old who was starting to say funny things and I really couldn't capture that in the photos. And so I, I was starting to draw some comics about what it was like to, um, to parent. Um, and from there I realized like I had all of this, um, all of these experiences that I wanted to record so I could remember them and also to kind of commune with other people who are going through these things. So it sounds like the initial part of this was almost like, it sounds like what I'm hearing is diary keeping in a way for you, for your family. Did you expect it? And or were you excited about the prospect of it becoming something forward facing? Well, I mean, so I did, I did a, a comic about medicine first that I submitted to the annals and that was about colchicine and it, I have been exploring narrative medicine for a while, writing some essays on patient experiences that I had. And then I had this culture scene experience that I was like, this is just not going to be a great essay. Um, And all of a sudden I realized, oh, this this could, I could draw a comic about it and convey the story that I wanted to tell. So in that way, like it was, that became forward facing. But then with the parenting stuff, yeah, it started off very, um, very personal and more of like a diary, but then, then I, I was hearing back from the people that I'm friends with who are parents and, um, that they, like a lot of it was resonating. And so that's when it's, I started to share it more publicly. I'm not letting you get away without telling us the culture scene story. You mentioned it twice oh, and I feel like I it's a Robert Ludlum book. It's like the culture scene endeavor <laughs> or the, the, the Cole Chris expedition. I'm going to, I can guess yeah. at what it was. Cause I bet you I've had a similar experience, but lay it out for us. What was the culture scene experience? So when I was a senior resident, I was um, on the, I was on one of the inpatient services and 
I had two patients get admitted the same night. Well, they, they weren't admitted. They got transferred, both from neurosurgery, because they both had falls, um, and they both had, like, brain bleeds um, that didn't have any kind of intervention. Um, and the same night, both times, the the children of the patients, like the adult children told me like, oh, you know, she's just been like having a really hard time with her ambulation recently because, um, you know, she's had more problems with her gout um, because we had to stop her gout medicine. And I hadn't heard about Colchris because I've been in this, you know, in residency. Um, But the next day the attending said, oh, this is probably because like all of a sudden culture seems really expensive. Um, and so, yeah, that was the culture chain story. So I, I wrote about that because, you know, I had these two separate patient encounters where they ended up on neurosurgery because of a change in drug prices. They didn't just end up on neurosurgery. They ended up in neurosurgery with intracranial hemorrhage, which is life-threatening. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and it was just, you know, it, it wasn't like anyone announced to them that their medication price was changing. Like yeah. one month they could fill it and the next month it was going to be $600 or something. So right. they just didn't get it. I had patients get readmitted because of that. So, yeah, we all have our culture, oh, yeah. we all have our culture yeah. scene stories. And I think that that's what's interesting about what you're doing though, right? We all have the stories. The editorials get published in the New England Journal. There's essays and articles in the New York Times and things like that. And those are valuable. There is something about a picture being worth a thousand words that I think is relevant here. When you cartoon about these things, do they land differently? Are they more impactful? I I mean, I think that they're easier to digest and they're, they're, they're definitely more accessible because okay. if you're going to sit down and read an essay in the New England Journal, you have to be in the right frame of mind. But you also with, have to have access with to the comics, those are, they're a lot easier to read and they're mm-hmm. faster to read. And so because they're so fast to read, you can convey a lot of information really quickly. And you can also play with different aspects of um, scale and perspective to convey different things. So in, in the culture scene comic, when the attending says like, Oh, did you not see the New England journal article about the prices of culture scene going up? I have my character thinking like, Oh, I need to read some more journal. (laughs) 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 Note to self. Note to self. Ouch, man. Shots fired. (laughs) So we're obviously going to post a link to the culture scene comic strip. So people can take a look at it as well. And that kind of gets to this idea of, you actually get to exert extraordinary narrative control with what you just described. So I love creative writing. I used to be a sports writer, really enjoy all these different formats. The, the, the art piece, right? The, what you just described, the, the bending of the lines, the way you color. Are you conscious of that? Are you making a statement with the way you sketch a character, the way you change the size of the letters of the, in the thought bubble that they're having? Is that part of the math for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, all of that. Like, even how shaky you're drawing, like how light with the pen you're going to be. Like, if, if, you're, if you're using the pen more lightly and, it, and you can see the hand shaking more, it comes off as like a more anxious drawing. Okay. Um, or like if you're using like kind of stronger strokes, it looks like a little bit more like artier. So yeah, I think that there's a lot of kind of ambiance that you can convey. Um, and, and because, you know, this is something that historically is like relegated to the, you know, the 
um, cartoon section of the newspaper, you don't have to worry about being as highbrow as like if you were going to write a New England <laughs> journal. That's right. That's right. That's right. You can use a lot more monosyllables and a lot more hand gestures and things like that than you would in the New England journal. Mm-hmm. And exclamation points yeah. Um, yeah. and kind of non sequiturs and sidebars. Uh, I love it. That's, that is too good. Now you've built a body of work. Are you deliberate and are you forming characters? Are you trying to develop recurring people, recurring subjects? Are you, do you find that you're writing, describing, illustrating the same topics? And are you conscious of creating characters? Are you creating a Garfield? Are you creating a Calvin and Hobbes? Are you, are you conscious of, of the arc that the Grace Ferris portfolio is taking? Yes. And I think, well, so I hadn't thought of it as, um, so I think of some of them are like personal jokes I have with myself. Like I, I try to include, if I'm writing about patients who are older, I try to have a, a person with lavender hair because hmm. you never know if that's real but I, I don't know I don't know if you've seen that but I have definitely seen many people with purple hair now mm-hmm. who are older and I just find that so charming and so yeah there are, there are a few characters that I have who I who I try to have recur with like the lavender uh, haired person and who usually has a cat <laughs> um, and then both of my kids have like, you know, fortunately they have different colored hair and one's tall and skinny and one's like short and plump cause he's a toddler. Um, so I have those recurring characters and I have like various like, uh, healthcare administrators also who sometimes come up. Interesting that um, you would bring that one up because I wanted to ask is as you're creating these characters, do you ever experience sort of a counter-transference where as you're drawing the character, you have an emotion sort of directed at them? So obviously a healthcare administrator might elicit a certain response. Your children are eliciting a certain response. The purple-haired, cat-bearing patient might elicit a certain response. Do you find that you are, I don't know, having an emotional relationship with these characters? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I feel very tenderly, I guess, towards all of them because uh-huh. I'm making them and I'm making them, like you said, like there is this like aspect to controlling it and how I'm framing the story and what kind of stories I'm telling. Um, so especially with the kids, you know, now I have to be careful about like what things I'm going to have my son saying. Cause I don't want to always depict him as like this moron. <laughs> he says uh, such silly things. And, um, so, yeah, and then the younger one, you know, can't speak very well, so he speaks kind of like a caveman. Um, <laughs> I don't but, feel like caveman and yeah. moron is the title for the comic strip about your kids. <laughs> no, I mean, hopefully I'm showing them to, you know, I don't, I don't really do, like, long-form ones, like, no, on potty training or anything. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, you, as you've done this work, it, you had to start from somewhere. And I mean, I, I loved comic books. I remember spending allowance money. It was baseball cards and comic books. Um, what were the what were the comics that have informed you? What are the ones, or are there any, or is this you kind of coming at it with a clean slate? Are there are there comics that it, that were influential for you or informed the work that you do now? Oh, that's that's like a dream to be asked that question. Um, Good, because I yeah. want to answer it too. <laughs> Well, I, like you, I, I read, like, all of the um, the newspaper cartoons, like, every day. Um, 
So, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and for better or for worse, yeah. um, and Kathy and, um, later like Zitz came out. Yeah. Um, those were big ones. And then I also, I read a lot of Archie comics. Like oh, I, I loved Archie. Them. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I don't um, know that you could get away with Archie anymore. I think that that a lot of the norms in the Archie universe we've probably set aside and probably for the better. <laughs> As it should be. Yeah, well, I think they still make them. I haven't I mean, read really? a recent one. Uh-huh. I think that they are still in production, but I'm, yeah, I'm sure there are more. He's hoping you Archie's know, a little also, more woke than he was in 1982. Exactly. Yeah, but even then, like even in the 80s and 90s, like I think it still represented kind of this historical universe that's a fair um, point that's a fair point but yeah yeah i mean definitely there are like huge gender issues in archie um yeah. well and so then the other cartoonist who kind of later influenced me when i was doing my cartoon in com in college um there's this argentine cartoonist called Maitena, who is a woman and she writes like very sex positive feminist comics that are very funny and so that that had like a huge influence too and now now there are all sorts of different motherhood cartoonists that are really inspiring who write about kind of their birth stories, which are to read a birth story like in a comics form is just really interesting. That um, is fantastic. Yeah. So let me tell you mine and then we're, we're yeah. just, just so I can get it off my chest. So Calvin yeah. Hobbes, 100%. I remember getting yeah. the first book. I remember waking my parents up in the middle of the night because I was awake reading and I was laughing super hard. Um, <laughs> I loved Garfield. I didn't love Garfield anywhere close to as much as Calvin and Hobbes. And then uh, the far side, a little bit later in life, the far side just oh, landed yeah, and yeah, it's evergreen. Yeah. Garfield and it's, on the far side. Garfield yeah. and the far side was great. Graphic novels I really enjoyed. So I really enjoyed um, when they did those original Batman ones. That kind of gave me my first super, my first superhero that I really liked, the Batman Dark Knight graphic novels. And then the one that really resonates, and it still resonates with me now, was a, by a guy named Art Spiegelman. And he wrote a two-volume oh, yeah. graphic novel called Mouse. Have you read Mouse? Yeah. Yeah, and that that like I think transformed kind of the idea of that you could have this like long serious comic book. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. that that's like the beginning of that. And that's actually the oh, genesis the other- of why I asked you about different people in your com in your comic world taking on different forms and personalities because I felt like in Mouse, it's really clear who is who, and those decisions were very, very specific, and they really yeah. inform why that those comics, why those graphic novels are so impactful and won the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that um, they have to be really deliberate. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think when you're drawing, you know. And now I, I was reading Kevin and Hobbs with my son over the summer when we were visiting my mom, and we like I found all of my old Kevin and Hobbs books and. Yeah. It kind of backfired because we read all of the scenes where he terrorizes his babysitter. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, my son like terrorized our babysitter and <laughs> now she won't come back. Um, oh, seriously, but, she won't come back. <laughs> I love it. It was, it was like a master class. And, oh my um, gosh, you, you read know. Revenge of the Babysat. Oh my gosh. That's it was, so I mean, those are so good. The ones with, with Rosalind, the babysitter, oh, so man. funny. But, uh, um, so funny. Rosalind was scary. She was tough. <laughs> well, now when you go back and read it, you know, she's so young. She's like 14 years old. And, yeah. But she's really good at, at um, scaring Calvin. She is. Um, she, she, she is. She's probably like the dean of a university now. I feel like Rosalind would do great things. <laughs> when you've gotten this foothold now, what do you want to do with this? 
Is this going to be you, you had a you had a series that became very popular in the hashtag med Twitter world? I think it was maybe a week or two ago where you reflected on how we hand off patients and you did one panel comics for each one and they were so impactful. They were so thoughtful. They were 100% on point. Where are we going with this? Because you're doing really unique work. You're doing really insightful and thoughtful, sometimes funny, sometimes sentimental work. What are we doing with this? Oh, that's that's really nice for you to say. First of all, the sign-out comic, so that's in the Annals Graphic Medicine, like the online section. Um, and I I wrote that back in May. And well, no. So I wrote it probably in April, but it got I, I submitted it in May, and I okay. think they accepted it in June or July. Then, when it was about to come out, I thought, "Oh gosh, like is this too cynical? Like, is, there's not really a narrative arc here. It's kind of more of a rumination." And you know, I think when I was writing it, it was right after I came off of like a service that was exactly like I signed it out. Like it was a light service because there weren't that many patients, but the patients were all just so, you know, just really sad. And, and so then I thought, oh gosh, like, I hope I'm not, you know, like making something that's like too demoralizing or, or that looks like too burned out or anything. Um, so I was, I was happy that people thought that that resonated. And I was also really glad that I was not sure about how to, um, oh yeah, I wasn't sure about the depiction of the, of the person who has, opioid use disorder because I follow a ton of the the people who treat opioid use disorder on Twitter and I feel like it's really educational but then I thought like oh I'm drawing this depiction that's kind of like pigeonholing someone with with an opiate use disorder and so I was not sure how that would go over but they were very supportive so although I did go back because originally I had written opiate abuse and I, I guess what I've learned through Twitter is that there's like this whole vocabulary that they prefer. And That's so right. I've learned that recently too. Yeah. Changed it. Yeah. I think that it's um, really important that you have that level of insight. And as I'm listening to you speak, it's really it's it's really landing on me that you actually because these pictures are so good, but also they are, as you said, right, they're much more accessible to lots of people. Lots of people that listen to the show are not in the medical field at all, but they enjoy this content because they're interested. And we know that, you know, most people intersect with healthcare on a, on a regular basis and they want yeah. to understand this, that they're, they're going to see this, that it is going to inform and influence opinions about things. And I think as you grow, one of your scalable things is going to be that impact and paying attention to how you depict somebody with opioid use disorder, I think that's really – it's great. I think it's really thoughtful. I think it's really important because your your depictions may land on a lot more eyes than, you know, a, a thousand-word discourse on what it looks like and feels like to, to try to manage patients with opioid use disorder and using the correct nomenclature. I just learned that in this – you know, in October of 2018 at the UCSF yeah. – Management of the hospitalized patient conference. That was a point of emphasis that we need to term this, the, you know, opioid use disorder, substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder. We need yeah. to take the take the pejorative out of it, take the negative connotation out of it, so we can actually reach out and connect with these people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I when and so that I especially those depictions of patients. I I don't 
draw about patients very often because because of that you know for that reason because it's very sensitive and because like I'm in I'm in kind of the control of like how I'm depicting it and how I perceive things to be going and so you know I don't want to draw something that feels like insensitive or degrading or demoralizing you know to somebody who's you know in the position of being a patient so uh, I don't know uh, you know I'll I'll these submitting more like medical comics to the annals, but most of them will be about um, more of the the experience of the physician mom on the you know in the non clinical setting mostly. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, then then as we think about right, you have a long career in front of you. When we think about the pie chart, you're a mom. Yeah. You've got a family. Yeah. You've got friends, and you've got activities that you like to do. You are a hospitalist. You're a medical director. You're a cartoonist. And your cart- the, all of those portfolios are growing, you know, at a pace. As the yeah. portfolio around being a cartoonist grows, wh- what do you want it to do? What what would be your vision for this cartooning component of your medical career? I guess I don't have a vision for how it's going to intersect with the medical career. I mean, the fact that it already has is is kind of a dream, you know, and I would never have imagined that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I went to an amazing conference that they had um, over the summer. The graphic medicine group puts on that's like the comics and medicine conference that takes place. Um, it's an international conference, so it, sometimes it takes place in the U.S. and sometimes um, in Europe. But it was so inspiring, and you know, when I was leaving for it, people thought like maybe I was going to a fake conference. <laughs> what? But it was it was so inspiring. The way people are using comics for different purposes in healthcare, you know, either for teaching or for co-creating comics with patients, or having medical students create comics about professional identity formation. You know, all of it is is so new, and so it's really exciting, and I think in that way, like, I I think it's really complimentary for, for my career, you know, and it's, it's a great niche for me because I, you know, I was already making these. So I would love if I could, I, I've done like one research project of using comics for teaching purposes, but I haven't able, been able to publish it yet. It's gotten like rejected several times. Can you imagine but, the people yeah. that are reviewing that? They're looking at this going, this is not abstract results methods and materials this is not the standard research paper dr ferris this is a comic are you i mean are you kidding right we're talking about this right there's there's one way that you write for the new england journal and i'm not putting down the new england journal of medicine but there's and then comics look a different way you may that may be a barrier you may do you find that that's a barrier or do people push back and say graphic medicine that's not a thing that's like me saying i'm going to a tennis medicine conference give me a break well, in the review and the the feedback I've gotten from the one that I submitted, which is a small study using um, excerpts from Roz Chast's book, "Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant?" and it was using that to, to teach about care transitions because that's about her aging parents and they go from living independently to assisted living to nursing homes to the hospital to hospice. And so there are all of these care transitions, and we talk about the alphabet soup of um, all of these post-acute care sites like ALF and SNF and SAR um, and LTAC. But one of the, the the feedback I got from one person was that the book was ageist. I thought that was kind of interesting because I hadn't ever read that, and it's been 
pretty extensively reviewed in kind of every outlet. And I hadn't come across concerns that it was really ageist, but, um, so that was, I, that was when I had submitted to one geriatrics journal, but not any of like the main geriatrics journals. So yeah, I, I, I don't think, I haven't gotten any criticism that comics are inappropriate, but I do get the criticism from reviewers saying that, which I think is like a common critique of narrative medicine and medical humanities, which is that like reading about something is not the same as like going to a nursing home, which is valid, but then it's not as if everybody does go to a nursing home anyway. So, uh, And that's um, exactly my, I mean, I would posit that it's a good, it's a fair point. You learn about it by doing it, but in the absence mm-hmm. of a program where your medical students can all rotate through nursing homes, we need to teach this in ways that stick and resonate and fit with the way they consume pop culture and the way they consume entertainment. Because if you can conflate those two, we know that that's going to be much more impactful. So if they grew up reading, I don't know, like let's say you have a medical student who really enjoyed the walking dead graphic novels or something like that, which I'm sure you do given how popular these things are. If they get to learn about what it's like to transition to a nursing home in a medium that they're already used to, to me at least, and tell me your thoughts, it would follow that that's going to be more sticky for them. Yeah, well, and for example, in the Roz Chast book, she shows so many different sites and what, you know, they're at the hospital for a hip fracture and then they go to this other place called a, a subacute rehab. They don't go back to the assisted living. And I think for a medical student, you can go to a nursing home, but you don't really know what's at an assisted living or an LTAC. So you, you still have to have that conversation about like what the differences are between these places. So, yeah. and I, I agree, like it's, seeing the imagery and how it's described by a non-clinical person is, is really compelling. Um, you know, and she, she describes, you know, the whole transition to the, you know, sitting in the ER and then breaking the hip. It's, it's just really vivid. So I thought it was meaningful, but I'm still looking for a journal. That right. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll start your own journal, right? I mean, and, and that, that, is there enough, is there, a growing interest? Is there a body of work? Are there enough other physicians or people in healthcare who are using illustrations, comics, who are using this format where maybe there is time, it is time for a journal or some place to collect that information, to collect that teaching and, you know, consolidate it and distribute it? Yeah, I think that is interesting. I think I'm sure that's in the pipeline. So graphic medicine has a a press, I think through Penn State, they publish some of the um, graphic medicine, graphic memoirs. But I wonder, I haven't actually asked any of them about whether or not a journal, they have a really robust website also, um, where they do reviews of of different comic books and graphic novels that touch on medicine. Got it. uh, I'm going to just say right now, I'm buying all the stock in the in the graphic medicine journal or the journal of graphic medicine i'm buying it all so there's none left for anybody else because that is going to be the coolest journal in the history of the practice of medicine like that's the one that's going to have the best cover art it's going to have the best everything it's going to be so great and i'm ready and but i bought all the stock so there's none left that's awesome. It should be physician owned. I mean, then you get into the whole. Oh, it is like, physician owned. Publishing in medical journals. Right, 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 it's right. Just, now, I was saying like it, it, sh- it is physician owned because I bought all the stock, so we're all set. <laughs> what, what, what do you see the future of this though? Uh, it, right, 
like like we've talked about, you you've got a long career ahead of you. What would you like to happen with this? If you could sketch it out perfectly for you for the idea of using graphic medicine and maybe that we we need to find a term for it. What are we going to even call this this work that you're doing? What would you like to see that look like as we look three, five, ten years down the road? Oh yeah, that's a, that's also an, an area of controversy is like what to call like what words to use yeah. and so. I think the librarians recommend using comics because that word kind of encapsulates everything. Although a lot of people say cartoons and illustrations, um, but uh, but comics is definitely what it, what it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what what does it look like? Well, um, you know, I, I would like to write a book, and then I've gotten more into animation recently. Oh, so. Wow. I would love to like animate the the cartoons more, and then in terms of healthcare, I, I think that there are lots of opportunities for comics. Um, you know, I think the meetings have a lot of opportunities to use comics more to like engage the participants in the meetings um, and to help with consolidating knowledge and you know learning about different topics. The, oh, the other interesting thing is that a lot of other medical journals are um, starting to put out requests for graphic content um, for their like narrative section. So, JGM, I don't know that they've published one yet, but they definitely have like a a call for potential graphic narratives. And then uh, the Canadian Medical Journal. So I think that that it'll be interesting to see if that becomes more common because. Uh, the um, editor, Darren Teichman of the Annals, he said that when they were thinking about doing this, there was a lot of concern that it would like dumb down the journal. But um, he has he has like a point that you know you can read Calvin and Hobbes and you can also read you know Steinbeck or Hemingway. It doesn't mean that like you're less smart because you've read Calvin. And, and you can also read Steinbeck and Hemingway in graphic novel form, and they are incredible. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm so jealous now because I would have died if they'd had, like, Anne of Green Gables and the Babysitter's Club in graphic novel form when I was young, and now now they do. So hearing you talking they're, they're about this so right neat. there on my side of the microphone, and this is vigorous head nodding time, I think yeah. that you're actually on to a real kernel of genius here. I really do. We are at, we're right on the precipice of a really transformative period in medicine where there are multiple generations that are leaving the profession and multiple generations that are entering the profession. And one of the things that we talk about on this podcast and that we all have to think about is how are we going to teach? How are we going to educate? How are we going to inform people about what we do? And it's pretty clear that you've got to give the people what they want. You need to give them the material in a way that's accessible to them, right? People don't Mm -hmm. read textbooks. They go to up to date. They go to their online resources. People don't look at a laptop. They go to their phone. They, they, They want it in their pocket. The same thing is going to happen, right? People are going to want to digest this material in the fashion that they're used to digesting all of their material. And I mean, I would push back pretty hard on the idea that you're dumbing down anything in the medical literature. If you make the decision to use art to do it, I think Mm -hmm. you are amplifying it. I think it's going to be an accelerant to learning because it's going to draw people to it. Imagine how much fun it would be to have the medicine in comics journal with a couple of perspective pieces and a humor competition and figuring out how to discuss a, you know, a, a trial or something like that. it would be amazing. I think people would really enjoy it. And that, that the first few ones that came out, that stuff, no one would ever forget it because they've never seen anything like it before. 
Yeah, that is interesting. I would love to see that. I'm the, looking for you to create it. The and the caption contest. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, and even, um, did you see the, the Hospitalist, the magazine, I think? They had a comics piece recently that I saw, which was also, it was, it was, it was not like a cheerful piece. It was about burnout. I forget the details of it, but it was like a full page. And I think it was in color online. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's so much easier to read and you can convey like really complex ideas a lot more easily. I mean, if you think about uh, the New Yorker magazine, right, this is high minded, long form writing and they're best known for their one panel comics. (laughs) Yeah. This has been absolutely fascinating. People are going to finish hearing you reflect on the work that you're doing and mapping out this road ahead. How do people find you though? People are going to say, okay, great. Pictures are worth a thousand words. I want to see these comic strips. How do we, how do we get to the work that you're doing and the work that you're going to do in the future? Oh, perfect. Yes. Well, so I'm on Instagram. If you want to see, I, I write a daily comic on Instagram. Um, that's mostly like more motherhood focused. Um, and motherhood and like life in New York City focused, and that is at Coupe de Grace Ferris, um, or you can go to my website, which is ferrisgrace.com, Ferris like F A R R I S, um, and then um, I'm also on Twitter, so you can also find me that way. This is wonderful. We'll have links on the website for all of these great resources. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk about this with with you. I'm a, I'm a comic book head. This this stuff feeds my soul. Uh, it's so great that our profession can be flexible and dynamic enough to start to embrace this and that we have people that have this level of talent like Grace Ferris to come out and start creating this stuff while they're being a great hospitalist, while they're a medical leader and, and building teams to take care of patients. It's just really exceptional. It's really exciting. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Mark. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.